Hi there. Welcome to the Calm Podcast, combining academia and life with Marilyn. My name is Marilyn Ritchie, and I have been a mentor and a scientist for 15 years, and I wanted to find a platform to reach more of the academic community than I interact with at my own university. My goal is to give you strategies and ideas for how to achieve harmony between work and life. Sit back, relax, and let's achieve harmony together. Hey there, this is Marilyn. Welcome back to another episode of the Calm Podcast. I am really excited to be with you today for another episode. This one is different. I haven't done an episode like this before. Today we are going to do a book club on a book that I just finished reading. I think I mentioned it in one of the previous episodes, but it's called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less by Greg McKeon. And I had never thought that I would do a podcast episode that is a book club per se, but this book had so many good nuggets of wisdom that I just feel compelled to tell you about it. I mean, I would say if if you're interested, either, you know, right now, then just stop the podcast, go read the book, and then come back and listen to my thoughts about it so that I don't spoil anything for you. But more importantly, I thought, you know, I know people are really busy and a lot of people are never going to have time to read this book, but there is so much in here that I think is so helpful to all of us that I just felt compelled to do a book club episode and talk to you about the book and some of the lessons that I pulled out of it. So in case you're not even sure what essentialism means, which I didn't really, I've heard people talk about this book on lots of other podcasts over the last couple years, and I wasn't entirely sure what essentialism was, and it, it, it really took me kind of, you know, reading an excerpt from the book, and then I was like, okay, I have to read this. Um, the book was published back in 2014, so this is not a new book, but it's timeless, and I, I feel like especially in this time of 2021, where we are about to emerge out of the the really isolated part of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's a really good time to think about the essentials and how we want kind of, you know, the next season to look in our lives because we have a choice and we can quote unquote, go back to normal And for a lot of us, that meant really busy and harried and, you know, just crazed. Or we can emerge perhaps in a a more focused and um, essential way of living where we spend our time on the things that are most important to us instead of all the things. So the beginning of the book has a set of questions. And this is how you decide if, you know, reading the book is a good idea for you. So here are the questions. Have you ever found yourself stretched too thin? Do you sometimes feel overworked? Does your day sometimes get hijacked by someone else's agenda? Have you ever said yes to please someone and then resented it later? If you answered yes to any of these questions, the way of the essentialist is the way out. I said yes to all of those questions. And so I had to read the book and now 
I'm going to tell you all about it. One thing to get us started is this idea of doing less but better. And this is a concept I've heard a lot of other authors and podcasters talk about, you know, that when you hear something about doing less, some people are immediately turned off by that because we're all trying to to do it all and be really productive and, you know, get all the things done. And so this idea of doing less can can almost feel counter to what we're trying to do. But it comes up several times in the book and it's not about getting less done. It's about getting the right things done. So we so often end up on these tangents with these to-do lists that, you know, these things ended up on there that aren't even our priorities or things that are important to us, but but we do it anyway because someone else asked us to do it and we aim to please. And so we said yes. Back to that, you know, have you ever resented saying yes? So I like the way that it it's kind of infiltrated all throughout the book, these ideas of how to do less, but by doing less, you get more time to do the right things and to do them well. So the book is organized into four parts. They are essence, which talks about kind of the essence of essentialism, then explore, then eliminate, and then execute. And I really like the way that it was arranged. It's short chapters. I think it's 20 chapters um, that go through these four steps. And then there's one more on leadership at the end. And in each part, there are a number of key things to kind of get you through that concept. So I'm going to walk through each of the four and kind of give you some, you know, some wisdom from the book and then also with some of kind of my thoughts around it. So in the section on essence, this is, you know, trying to help us understand, you know, the essence of what is essential to us. And what is essential to one of us may not be essential to another. I think that also to me was an important takeaway from the book. You know, this is something that it's self work. This is something that is internal to you. You can't really talk to your friends or your colleagues about what's essential to them because you may or may not have some of the same essential priorities. So in the the section on essence, some of the things to take away, um, one is that we all have the ability to choose. And I really, really liked this section. It's all about giving examples of um, it's not I have to. Instead, it's I choose to. I catch myself often saying, well, I have to do this. I have to do that. I don't have to do anything. I'm choosing to do the things. And I think that's a really important thing to remind ourselves that, yes, there are lots of demands on our time and and requests and asks of us. But every time we take action and do something, we're choosing to do that thing. And when we choose that thing, we are not choosing something else. So you can have a long list of choices, but ultimately it's up to you to make the choice. You, you know, quote unquote, you have to do all the things or you might think you have to, but you don't have to do anything. You have to choose the things that are most important. Uh, There's a section on distinguishing the vital few 
from the trivial many. Um, again, this is that, you know, there are so many things on the list, so many opportunities, so many choices we could make. We have to pick the most important ones. And realizing that we're making trade-offs. So trade-offs are something to embrace. They are made deliberately, strategically, and thoughtfully. That is a quote from the book. And he gives this example that is a bit um, tongue-in-cheek. He even says, this is tongue-in-cheek, but imagine that your life is like a four-burner stove. One burner is family, one is friends, one is health, and one is work. Let's say that you have to choose two, and you can only turn on those two burners. You know, that that's silly, because of course we have to focus on our family, our friends, our health, and our work, you know, all the time. But I, it reminded me of this, this idea of, you know, the kind of, false claim of work-life balance and why I so often think of it as work-life harmony that yes at any one time you can only focus on one maybe two areas you cannot simultaneously be paying attention to your family your friends your health and your work unless uh, maybe I shouldn't say never maybe somebody has a really specific thing that they do that somehow hits all of them but for the most part, we're choosing, we're making a choice and it's a trade-off between, you know, while I'm working and I'm really focused on work, I'm not parenting in that time and that's okay. It's impossible to be parenting and working at the same time. The idea is that you kind of spend your focus time on your work and get it done so that then you can spend your focus time on your parenting or you spend, you know, the time on your your health which sometimes you could be working while doing exercise. You know, you could be on a conference call while walking or something like that. But for the most part, you have to have a trade-off. And, you know, in this window of time, I'm going to do this thing. In this other pocket of time, I'm going to do the other thing. And it's a trade-off. And we have to harmonize across all of those things so that every area gets the attention that it needs at the time that it needs it, recognizing that, you know, we're... We're making a trade-off kind of all throughout the day and, you know, in each day of the week to put the focus and the choice where it needs to be at that time. All right, the second part of the book is explore. Here, he talks about our need to escape so that we can focus and explore. This first chapter of this part made me realize why I crave alone time, that I need the quiet so that I can focus and think. And that's part of why, you know, lately I've been waking up 30 minutes earlier because I think I mentioned, you know, in an earlier episode, my morning routine was thrown off because my kids have been getting up, you know, getting ready for school. And it was just really like messing up my flow that there were people there right when I woke up in the morning. So I just started getting up 30 minutes earlier and it's made a huge difference. I have 30 minutes of quiet. I can drink my coffee in silence. I can think, I can plan my day. And it's that, that focus time that I need. Um, I think similarly, that's one of the things that I miss about business travel. I would have 
days alone where, yes, I'd be, you know, the travel part is busy. And then when you're at a conference or an event, that's busy. But then at the start and end of each day, I would be alone in a hotel room. And that would give me that quiet escape time to focus and explore different ideas. So that um, that chapter really resonated with me. Uh, next, you have to pay attention to the, the signal in the noise. There's just so much going on in our world. And being able to kind of weed through all of the information that's out there and pull out the essential kind of signals that we need to focus on is something that it's a challenge, but it's something that we need to do. Uh, there's a chapter on play and how essential play is. And I know that this is something that has come up in several Brene Brown podcast episodes in her Unlocking Us podcast. She talks about play. You know, adults tend not to play. It's it's like something we think kids do and adults shouldn't do it anymore. And it's such an important part of, you know, being alive. And for me, I didn't play for years. I mean, there was definitely a period of time between college and probably having kids where I don't know how often I played. And I definitely have noticed recently, so I've started playing tennis, I'm playing golf. I My kids are at an age that we're starting to play, you know, different board games and card games together that, you know, I'm I get competitive and we got a ping pong table this year. So we've been playing ping pong and it's so fun. And so it was a great reminder that play is not wasted time. It's actually an essential part of, you know, how we should spend our time. Uh, he has a chapter on sleep. It's uh, and he talks about protecting the asset. I loved this chapter. I, I talk about this all the time with my friends, with my students, with my family, you know, with my kids. Um, I know I've talked about it on the podcast. This, this idea that if you can get one more hour of sleep, it will give you several more hours of high productivity. And I was like, yes, I totally buy into that. I, I have experienced it. When you are well rested and you have protected your asset, which is your brain, to get plenty of rest, it can just power on all cylinders throughout the rest of the day. Great chapter. And then the last one in this section is uh, selection, select, and use the 90% rule to select which things you're going to do. So the idea is that in any, anything that comes your way as you're exploring, you have to rate it on a scale from one to a hundred. How would you rate this thing? You know, how important is it how excited are you about it? Anything that's rated less than 90%, reject it. If it's not a clear yes, it's a no, is basically this, this idea. And I thought that was great because there are lots of things that I know I say yes to. And then I'm like, why did I say yes to this? I, like, I don't even like this. I don't like this type of music or I don't like this type of activity. Why did I say yes? And... I'm going to try to do better at saying no. I think I say yes because I'm like, oh, so-and-so asked me to do this. I should do it, you know, to please them. Or, oh, this is probably a good idea. It'll be, you know, a good thing to put on my CV. But then if I don't like it, it 
don't know, you realize like now you've spent time on this thing you didn't like and yes, it goes on your CV or yes, maybe one of your friends are happy, but you could have also made someone happy or done something productive for your CV and enjoyed it at the same time. So I'm going to try to implement this 90% rule as I think about different uh, choices when I'm exploring, you know, the world of options. So now we're on to part three. This part is called Eliminate. Here, there is uh, one chapter that's about making decisions. And specifically, can you make one decision that will eliminate a thousand later decisions? This chapter is really looking at kind of mission statements and vision statements and, you know, other ways to do things that are so clear and so decisive that it it basically removes a lot of ambiguity and a lot of questions down the line. The next one is about um, saying no. And he says, dare to say no firmly and gracefully. I liked this and the a reminder to me as I read this chapter, I don't think he said this. I think this is something that just after I read it and I'm sitting there kind of thinking about it. Sometimes I say yes to things because I think I should. And I think, oh, you know, well, they need someone to speak at this workshop. Uh, yeah, I can do it. It's fine. Like, it'll be good on my CV. Sure, I'll give the talk. And it occurred to me that sometimes, depending on the, you know, what the thing is that you're saying no to, sometimes when you say no, it actually gives an opportunity for someone else to say yes. So I'll just stick with this example of giving a talk at a workshop. So if I say no, that means that the organizers will go and ask someone else. So my no is not now their their workshop is ruined. It's an opportunity for someone else. You know, maybe, and I know I've organized meetings. You have a list of potential speakers. So you have your, your top choice, this person you want to speak. And if they say no, you go on to the next person on your list. And so, you know, none of us ever know where we are on the ranked list of speaker choices, and we don't need to. But if we say no, then the next person on the list gets the chance. And, you know, and I don't mean that they're ranked like, you know, so like this one's better than this one's better than this one. It could be a think of it even as a horizontal list. It's just they put people in the order that they're going to ask them. And so when I say no, that gives someone else the opportunity to say yes and to put it on their CV. So I'm going to try to remember that more often as well. But, you know, it, me saying no does not stop an event from happening. It does not stop a paper from making it through the review process. It doesn't stop an event. It just means that I am not participating. But if I'm not participating, then someone else, and perhaps even someone, you know, a more junior faculty who needs that opportunity gets the chance to say yes. So I'm going to try to to say no more often so that other people can say yes. Uh, uncommitting. Oh, this was such a hard one to read. It, this chapter talks about cutting your losses. So sometimes we say yes and we commit to something and then it doesn't go as planned. It's not going well. 
Um, this happens in science all the time with experiments. And, you know, we had this idea and this question we were after, and here's this experiment we're going to do, and the results are no. And you're like, no, it's got to be real. So you like, okay, well, let's try this. Oh, that didn't work. All right, well, let's try that. Oh, that didn't work. And you just keep trying new ideas. And it's really hard sometimes to uncommit from that idea and be like, you know what? This is a bad idea. Let's just stop. Cut our losses. Quit beating the dead horse. Just stop and ask a new question. Um, it's really hard to uncommit to things, I, I will admit. But sometimes it's what we have to do because then it opens up the opportunity to ask new questions and try new things. The next chapter is on editing. And I loved this. This was the idea of, you know, we're always trying to make things better. You know, if we're writing something, we edit. If we are, you know, doing some uh, something creative, we're often, you know, editing, whatever that is. But the point in this chapter was often making things better means subtracting, not adding. So instead of adding more and more activities, more and more words, more and more elements, perhaps subtracting is what's going to make it better and improve. And so I'm going to try to think more about subtraction of acti activities, subtraction of words, rather than always adding. And then the last chapter in this section is on um, boundaries and limits. And he talks about how putting limits and boundaries in our life are liberating. We have rules in advance, and that eliminates the need for a no. One of the sections of this chapter specifically talks about working on weekends. And that one uh, really resonated with me because that is something I'm seeing a lot on social media right now. You know, especially when so many people, certainly in my field, are still working from home. It is really hard to differentiate between, you know, work time and non-work time because we're home all the time. And especially on weekends, it it's hard. Like, you're still here. You could just keep doing what you've been doing every other day. And in the book, and remember, this book was written in 2014, so long before the pandemic, but they talked about how... I guess there was a request from a manager to have a meeting with someone on Saturday and the, the man said, oh, I'm very sorry, but, you know, Saturday is family day. And the boss or manager said, you know, oh, of course I understand. Well, how about we'll do it on Sunday? And the man said, oh, I'm sorry, Sundays are for God. And he basically had these, these boundaries that like, I don't take meetings on Saturday and I don't take meetings on Sunday. Saturday is my family day. Sunday is, you know, a religious day for him. And I thought it was a great example of how we all need to decide what our limits and our boundaries are and, and place them. I mean, I, for one, you know, I, I've talked before about working on weekends that I, I try not to. And if I do, it's, you know, because I'm under a deadline or I'm really behind and I'll do, you know, a couple hours here and there. Unless it is something that I view as an emergency, I don't take calls on the weekend. I do not schedule conference calls and video meetings on the weekend. Now, have I ever had any? Of course. You know, especially early in the pandemic when we were trying to, you know, figure out what was going on with COVID-19 and 
you know, we were recruiting uh, patients into the biobank that we work on, and we were trying to get surveys out, and we were trying to get, you know, sequencing data so that we could try to figure out what in the heck was this virus and what was it doing. I was on lots of calls on the weekends early on as the scientific community was trying to rally together and figure this thing out. So I don't think it's a never, but that's probably one of the only periods of time that I had some calls on the weekends on a regular basis. So in this whole part of elimination, it's instead of adding more things to your life, what can you remove that allows you to focus on the essentials? And again, this idea of doing less, but doing more of the right things. All right, we're in the home stretch of our first book club episode, the last part of the book. It's called Execute. So this whole section is kind of strategy to execute this life as an essentialist. So the first chapter in this section is about building in buffer from unexpected events. It was interesting to me that that was a tactic. It's something that I do, I do for myself, but I also try to mentor my students to do that. This just came up recently that, you know, a big change happened in a schedule and it kind of threw something else off course. And I was like, yeah, see, this is, it's a good lesson on how, you know, if, if you've done the work that you do long enough, you know that things will come up that are barriers in your plan. You know, it will, you'll get sick. You know, you have it all mapped out. You're going to get this thing done in the three days prior to when it's, it's due, and then you get a migraine. And so you can't get it done. I mean, I've definitely had that happen where, like, a grant didn't go in because I got sick or I had a sick kid. And so I've learned it's really important for me to build in buffer times that, you know, this thing is due then. I've got to try to get it done, you know, three days earlier, five days earlier, just to have time for the unexpected work emergency that gets thrown in that has to get done, you know, even a few days before the other deadline. And more importantly, the personal things that come up because they just do, life happens. And so the more that you can build in buffer for those unexpected events, the more likely you can then focus your time on the essentials. Um, this was in the elimination part as well, but there's another chapter on subtract. And so it, he talks even more about removing obstacles that will allow you to bring forth more. Um, I, I wondered if there's another chapter on subtraction because it is so counterintuitive to so many of us to take away. It seems like our culture is to add more. Everything is more, more, more. And there were multiple times in this book that he talks about subtraction and less. And, and I think it's to really try to get that point across. The next chapter is on celebrating. We need to celebrate the small wins because small results are still progress. This really hit home for me. I encourage my students to do this all the time. Same thing with my kids that... You know, so you want to get, you know, a manuscript published in a journal, for example, but that's a big goal and it takes a long time to get there. So prior, if you wait and you don't celebrate until that point, you have like 
one to two, sometimes three years of no celebration. So don't celebrate that only. Like, yes, of course you celebrate that. But prior to that, like, let's celebrate, you know, the first set of experiments are done. Let's celebrate when you have the outline of the paper done. Let's celebrate the fact that you got the method section done. And and I don't mean celebrate like you have a party at every stage, but, you know, figuring out how to reward yourself. I, I know that I've talked about this on an earlier episode, but I use a strategy where when there's something I really want to do, I, you know, I really want to watch this movie or I want to, you know, try this new restaurant food or I want to buy, you know, this pair of shoes. Sometimes I'll make it a reward for a thing that I don't want to do, that I have to do. You know, I'm, I have to, you know, review a chapter of something and I just don't feel like it. How about this? As soon as I'm done reviewing the chapter, I get to go do the thing that I'm excited about. Celebrate those things that are small. The next chapter is about designing a routine that makes the essential the default. And uh, this might have been my favorite chapter in the book. I've talked a lot in the past about routine, morning routines and habits. And he hit on a few points that it made sense why why I'm such a, a fan of routines. So he says, when we are in flow of a routine, it frees our mental space to concentrate on other things. He also says, routine is not where creativity and innovation go to die. It's actually the opposite. When we're in routine, that is when we actually are more creative and more innovative. And he talks about the book, The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg. So in this book, Charles maps out habits and has figured out that it's really, there's a cue and then you do the routine and then there's a reward. And so while a lot of people don't like routine because it's boring, the reality is that when you're in that routine and you're just doing that thing that you might not even think about it anymore as a routine because it's just so kind of ingrained in your day, while you're doing that thing, your brain can be thinking about other things. So I know people who eat the same thing for lunch every day. I don't because I like variety of food, but I know part of the reason that they have a ham sandwich and a bag of chips every day is because while they're in the morning, they're not thinking about what am I gonna eat for lunch. They're thinking about whatever else they're doing. And then at lunchtime, it's not, oh, what am I going to eat? And they spend mental energy figuring that out. They just grab their sandwich and their chips, and then they can think about the other things that they want to think about. So, you know, for me, lunch is not something that I want to make the same every day because I love variety of food. That said, my breakfast is pretty much a can of V8 and a cheese stick almost every day because I don't have to think about it. When I start to feel hungry, I walk to the kitchen, I grab the V8 and the cheese stick, and I go back to my office, and it's just done. It's not this kind of pontification about what I might want to eat and then looking through the kitchen to see what we have. I just make sure we always have V8 and we always have cheese sticks, and then I have breakfast. So I know some people don't like routine because they feel like it's boring, but if you can wrap your head around this idea that it allows you to be creative and innovative in other areas rather than when am I going to exercise? You know, what am I going to eat for breakfast? Instead, you can innovate about, you know, the work that you're doing or the the events that you're planning or, uh, the you know, the things that you're doing around your house. All right, the next chapter is to focus on the present, the right now. 
And I really liked uh, a word that he brought into this chapter that I hadn't heard before, but it's called multifocusing. So a lot of us talk about multitasking and how people can't multitask. He actually digs into this a little bit. You could multitask. You can do different things at the same time, but what we can't do is multifocus. That is concentrate on different things at the same time. So I talked about this in a time management episode where I said, you know, I can, for example, listen to a seminar and fold laundry at the same time. I'm not concentrating on the laundry. I'm concentrating on the seminar. Folding laundry is a habit. I fold shirts the same way every time. I fold pants the same way every time. I don't think about it and like, what new way could I fold the pants? I just fold the pants. That way I can concentrate on other things. So that's why you could do a task that is mindless that you don't have to concentrate or focus. And then you can do a task where you have to focus. And so this multi-focusing, you can't do. You cannot concentrate on two things. But you could multitask where one element requires concentration and the other one doesn't. And then the last chapter of this section is B. That was the title, B, B-E. And it talks about having, you know, more clarity and more control and more joy in the journey if we can allow ourselves to just be. I thought this was a great ending to the execute chapter. I especially liked the part about joy in the journey. That's something that I think a lot about, you know, we often have this goal and this place we're trying to get to and, you know, I'll be happy when... I get that thing, or life will be good when I get to that point. And it's so important to have joy in the journey of getting there because often we get there and it's anticlimactic. Like, yes, we got the thing, but it's rarely as exciting as we thought it was going to be. And so we really need to try to get joy kind of all throughout the journey of getting from point A to point Z. That brings us to the end of our first book club episode. I hope that you enjoyed this. I really enjoyed, so I love the book first. I mean, full stop, go get the book. I absolutely love the book. I cannot recommend it enough. But I also really loved the process of going back through the book and taking notes so that I could tell all of you about it. Um, So uh, I think I'll try to do this again when there's another book that, you know, warrants this. There's a great quote on the back of the book by Adam Grant, who is a Wharton professor and author of, so he's an author of Give and Take, but more recently, uh, he's an author of Think Again. So here's what he says. Essentialism holds the keys to solving one of the great puzzles of life. So drop what you're doing and read it. And I could not agree more, Adam. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please feel free to uh, comment about it on Twitter at the Calm Podcast, or send a message via email to thecalmpodcast.feedback at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you ever have any suggestions for podcast episode topics, I'd also love to hear about those. And if you have a minute to uh, rate the podcast or put a comment in, that helps other people find the podcast. And also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. They may like to hear about the book Essentialism as well. So with that, I'm going to close. 
Take care, have a good week, and I'll talk to you next time. You've just listened to another episode of The Calm Podcast. I hope that some of the strategies that I talked about are helpful to you in your journey through academia and life. As they say, it's not all about the destination, it's about the journey. Let's make it a great one. Until next time.